You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament, please, the book of Job, chapter 25, a very short chapter. In fact, if you want to say, uh, memorize a Bible chapter, you might pick this one to memorize. Job, chapter 25, just six short verses, and we'll read it together. And I believe there's a statement made here that will help us today. And we'll be also going later into the book of Romans, but we'll begin here in Job, chapter number 25. If you're able to stand, I want you to stand with me as we read these six verses together. I'll make just a comment on the text verse, and then we'll pray and get into the message this morning. I want God to speak to our hearts. And I know this, as bad as I want God to speak to us, God wants to speak to you worse. He desires to speak to you today, if you'll let him. Job 25, verse number one, the Bible said, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him, speaking of God. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his light. How much less man that is a worm, and the son of man, which is a worm. My Bible has the heading in it, Bildad showeth that man cannot be justified before God. Basically, this short chapter of six verses is Bildad painting God so high and picturing man so low. God is so holy and man is so unholy. God is so righteous and man is utterly unrighteous. Man is man, God is God. How in the world could man, a sinner, ever be justified, made right with God, he asks in verse 4. I don't know, maybe you've asked the question, I believe you have. I know I've asked that question. I believe every heart of man has asked that question before, how can I be right with God? When I understand who he is and I know who I am, how can I be right with God? For a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought, I found the answer. I found the answer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help me preach this morning. I pray for your power. I pray you'd allow me to present this truth, this Bible doctrine today, in a way that your people could see it and rejoice in it. God, if there's one here today that is not right with you positionally, I pray that they'd get that taken care of today. I pray we just spend some time in your presence. We need your power. I pray that you touch our church. Please give us what we stand in need of. You know what we need better than we do. I trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's a long list of things that I like about being a dad. And the list grows every single day. And uh, it's interesting and it's an experience. And I've got more prescription pills that I take now than before. But I love being called a dad. One thing that is getting particularly interesting about being a dad is that our four-year-old is already smarter than we are. He already knows everything. And if you don't think so, just ask him. His favorite word is actually, and then he'll explain to you why you're not right, and he is. The other day, we were in the house, and he was running all over the place, and he was bouncing from, literally running through the house. Sometimes, 
it's obvious who his mother is. He's, he, he actually, but anyway, he was running through the house and he was bouncing off one couch, running to the other couch, bouncing off the walls. And I said, Link, sit down. I said, why in the world are you so hyper? He didn't even pause. He said, because I'm only four. <laughs> and I said, I guess that makes sense. He goes, plus I'm a boy. And I said, that makes sense too. He has an answer. I want to preach this morning on that thought. I found the answer. I want to pose a question to you today that was asked by a man several thousand years ago. We find the question in Job chapter 25. It's a question that I believe resonates deep in the heart and in the soul of every single person. In fact, from the moment it was mentioned in the text up till today, I believe this is probably one of the most prominent questions that arises from the heart of a man. The question is a question that we have to find the answer to. It's a question that concerns every one of us here today. It's a question that holds eternal consequences. In fact, the answer determines either heaven or hell for us. I want us to consider this question. I want us to consider it today just like Bildad asked it so many years ago. I've asked this question personally. I don't doubt that you've asked this question. And I believe probably every person at one time or another has sought to find this answer. Here's the question. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of woman? I think we could even ask it like this. How can the guilty go free? We have to find an answer to that question. Now the book of Job is a book of extreme trial and spiritual endurance. When you consider this book, if you know anything about the book at all, when you think Job, you immediately link the name of the man with the trial that Job endured in his life. Job's known for his trial. But I'm glad Job was also known for his testimony through his trial. There's few people that have descended into the depths of trial like Job did. Job's a man that loved God. He lived for God and he worshiped God. He was a great man because he was a godly man. Job loved God and God showered down his love upon Job. But don't miss this this morning. Job's relationship with God did not exempt him from the trials of life. In fact, the Bible teaches us that manifold temptations are going to come to all of us saved and lost to light. And the purpose for that is God will put his children through the fire of affliction, the furnace of trial, to purify us and to try our faith. Here we find Job is put through the fire. In the opening chapters of the book of Job, Job has the world by the tail. But before the opening chapter ends, the devil literally is holding Job by the throat. Trial comes to Job's life. You can study it and find that Job is stripped of his family. Job is stripped of his finances. Job's afflicted in his flesh. Job's wife comes to him and says, if I were you, I'd curse God and die. Job's friends come into his life and they accuse this righteous man of committing sin. Now let me stop and make a statement. This isn't the message this morning, but it's a good message. Right here when trial came to Job, Job had to make a decision. And the way that Job made this decision would determine how we would talk about Job and preach about Job and sing about Job thousands of years later. How Job decided to respond to his trial would determine how Job would live the rest of his life. How he determined to face this affliction would determine if Job would live bitter and broken until he went to heaven or if he would allow God to move in and bless him beyond measure. 
I like what Job does. Everything is falling down around him, but Job decides to look up, and Job goes to his knees, lifts up his hands, raises his voice, and he anchors his faith in God, and says, it's the Lord that gave, and the Lord that took away. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I like Job. He's blessed at the end of his life because he decided to wade through trial with the testimony of faith in God. Let me sit in the message, but it's a good one. Let me stop and say this. When your faith is tried, that's when you give faith a try. You don't run from God. You don't stop praying. You don't quit serving the Lord. You don't fall out of church, but you dig in. You anchor like a tree planted by the rivers of water, stayed upon Jehovah. I shall not be moved. God's in control, and I think I'll just go with God. That's what Job did. Job 25 is a six-verse lecture to Job by his accusing friend. The basic theme of the chapter is man is guilty before God and is utterly, hopelessly lost. Bildad begins his remarks by pointing out the person of God. Look with me at your Bible, verse 1. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? Here's what he's doing. Bildad is declaring God's perfection to Job. He's declaring God's purity. He's emphasizing God's power. He's painting a picture of God being so high and so holy that there is no way for a man to compare to who God is. And let me say he was exactly right. Never has there been and never shall there be a man of flesh, blood, and bone that can compare, match up to, or become equal with our God. No man has ever ascended to the height of who God is. No man's ever reached the pinnacle upon which he sits. No man can ever attain to the glory to which God alone has for himself. Man can't compare to God's power. Man can't compare to God's presence. Man can't compare to God's purity. And man cannot match God's person. You can't compare to God's power. He's the Lord of hosts. You can't match his glory. It's above the highest heavens. You can't match his purity. In him is no shadow or variable of turning. God is utterly, inexplicably, totally perfect in every sense of the word. In verse 5, Bildad declares to Job that as great as the moon is, it doesn't compare to God. The stars that light up the galaxies look like burning, uh, look like uh, look like dim lights in the presence of God's burning radiance. Look at verse 5. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. So he's saying, Job, when you compare who you think you are to who we know God is, he said, not even the moon can stand in his presence. The stars look black in the light of his countenance. God is high and man is low. And then he really busts the bubble of the ego of man. Bildad would not be uh, invited to preach uh, at Joel Osteen's church. I mean, he is not very good on the encouragement here. Look at verse number six. He said, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Can you imagine this? He says, Job, here's who God is. God is high. God is holy. God is powerful. God is perfect. There ain't nobody like God. And when you compare who you are to who we know God is, he said, Job, you're just like a worm crawling on its belly, living in the filth of this world, pointlessly existing. 
day by day. Now, you know this, a worm is something insignificant. A worm is something ignorant. A worm is something ineloquent. A worm is a creature that can't go any lower than where it already lives every day as it makes its way through the mire. It lives daily with the threat of being trodden underfoot or falling prey to an adversary. A worm is defenseless and the only way it preserves is to dig itself deeper down into the mud of this world and to hope for the best. Bill Dad says, Job, that's what you are. I don't mean to be harsh. I don't mean to have no uh, veneer of grace on this thing, but to be honest with you, when you think a man in the light of God, we are a worm. We can't match his person. We can't match his power. We can't match his purity. We can't attain to be equal with God. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, it'd be censored today because the snowflake uh, Christians couldn't handle it. In fact, some modern hymnals even changed the word, but he got it right when he originally wrote the hymn and said, alas, and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Here's what he's saying. God is high, man is low. God is holy, man is unholy. God is righteous, man is unrighteous. God is powerful, man is powerless. That's why the psalmist said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Then we come to verse four. Verse four is the theme of the chapter. Bildad poses a question to Job that I believe every person at one point or another asks in their life. When you stop to consider God today and who he is and then what you are compared to him, there's nothing else. There's no other sane response but to ask this question. Look what it said in verse 4. How then can man, considering who he is, how can man be justified with God considering who he is? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Bill as says, Job, I've got a question for you. If you consider who we are, how sinful we are, how dirty we are, how wicked we are, how frail and fleshly and depraved and temporal we are in comparison uh, to God. How kind of, how, what kind of hope is there for us to ever be made right with God? In verse number uh, four, he says at the end of it, how can he be clean that is born of a woman? He's illustrating it further. And I'll be appropriate with this this morning, but we all understand it doesn't matter if a baby's born in a thatched hut or a state-of-the-art hospital. A baby is born in this world a mess. The doctors have to, first thing they do, they clean that baby up. And he's saying, how can a man that's like a worm, how can a man that's just born in this world a mess ever hope to be made right with a holy, righteous, and just God? God is so clean. Man is so dirty. God is so right. Man is so wrong. God is so holy. Man is so sinful. God is so pure. And man is so evil. How in the world can I be made right with God? How can the low be lifted up? How can the unclean get cleansed? How can the wrong be made righteous? How can the unholy be made holy? We must find the answer. He said, how can a worm crawling on its belly in the filth of the world be lifted out of the mire, transformed into a new creature and find favor with God? Just in the way the verse reads, it shows man is guilty. Just in the way the verse reads, it proves God is holy and that we need an answer. Now, whether you believe this book or not, if you have a mind that computes and works properly, you at least understand these three things because of your conscience. All of us have sinned. And because we've all sinned, 
It goes ahead without saying we, we can't become equal with God. Number two, you've, if you have any kind of a conscience or mind, you understand death comes to every person. And also, if you have any kind of conscience at all, you say, now, if there is a God, then surely I'll have to stand before him one day. And if I'm going to have to stand before him, I've got to get some righteousness from somewhere. Because I can't stand before him without some. You might not even agree with your Bible, but your conscience has enough sense to tell you that those things are true. And maybe you've asked the question, how then can man be justified with God? How can I be made right with God? I can't afford to stand before him with sin. I can't stand before him with my righteousness. I need an answer. Can I say that's a very serious thing to consider? Bill Dad has made a bulletproof case against his race. We are all unrighteous and incapable of attaining to the level of God. Now the key for us today, and we'll have a Bible study on this word. The key for us today is in the sixth word of the Fourth verse, how then can man be, look at this word, justified. Would you say that word out loud with me? Let's say it, one, two, three, say it, justified. Let's say it one more time, one, two, three, justified. That word justified, that word justification means to acquit. It means to vindicate. It means to declare one is not guilty. So here's what the man is saying. He said, how can you and I be vindicated? How can we be acquitted? How can we have God who knows the depths of our sinfulness look upon us one day and declare us as not guilty? Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to answer his question. And if we're going to answer his question, you've got to go to the New Testament with me. Take your Bible, go to Romans chapter number three. We're going to let the Bible answer the question with me. If Bildad were in this building, today. I'd like to grab him by the arm and say, why don't you walk with me for a minute, sir? I understand that maybe you don't understand this yet. You lived in the Old Testament, but let me escort you from Malachi into Matthew and then on to Romans. Let me walk you out of law and in, let me walk you out of law and then into grace. Let me walk you out of shadow into substance. Let me walk you out of uh, what's in part to what's been made whole. Let me walk you into the book of Romans and teach you a little Bible doctrine today, Bill Dad. My need is justification and your need is justification. Our rap sheet is riddled with all the sin that we've ever committed. And doubtless we are guilty in the eyes of a holy God. So we've got to find an answer to the question. The book of Romans is a book of systematic New Testament theology. And the theme of the book of Romans is righteousness. It tells us where to get it and it tells us how to obtain it. It gives us the answer. How can man be justified with God? Paul is dealing with Jewish people that are stuck on the misconception that their flesh and their formalism and their religion somehow could justify them before God. So Paul blows that out of the water. Look at verse number nine of Romans chapter three. He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. He's saying your religion can't get you justified. Your good works can't get you justified. Your denomination can't get you justified. Paul said, you look at the Gentiles as sinners and you're just as wicked as they are. Your Sunday dress won't justify you. Your King James Bible won't justify you. Your necktie won't justify you. That baptistry won't justify you. Buying Girl Scouts won't justify you. It doesn't matter Jew or Gentile for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. How then can man be justified with God? How can our unrighteousness be turned into righteousness? He says your good works only serve to magnify the fact you're not right with God. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now, Paul takes the acts of truth and lays it firmly to the root of pride. 
And he makes some statements. You can sum up his message in four statements. Statement number one is this. Paul answers Bildad, how then can man be justified with God? Number one, the answer is not in my deeds. Verse number 20 says, therefore by the deeds of the law, there should no flesh be justified. That means it doesn't matter what you do, 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 do. It doesn't get you justified. Number two, he say this, the answer is not in my denomination. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or a Methodist. Doesn't matter if you go to church every Sunday or only come on Easter and Christmas. Number three, you say the answer is not my devotion. Doesn't matter how many you have on your bus route or if you teach a Sunday school class or pass out a gospel track, that won't make you right with God. But the fourth statement is where we can shout, I found the answer. I believe Paul would say, Bill, Dad, let me help you out here. The answer is not in your deeds. The answer is not in your denomination. The answer is not in your devotion. But I found the answer. The answer is faith deposited in the person of Jesus Christ. So how do you answer his question? How can the guilty go free? How can the condemned have no condemnation? We can sum it up in one word, and that word is Jesus. How can a sinner be justified? Jesus. I dare not boast in anything, no wealth, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. There's only one key that can open the cell. There's only one hammer that can break the chain. There's only one cleanser that can remove the stain. There's only one verdict that can vindicate my record and his name is Jesus. When Satan comes to tempt me and tries to make me doubt, I say my sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. Praise God, my sins are gone. The book of Acts is about serving, do, do, do. But the book of Romans about salvation, done, done, done. So we're asking, how can the guilty go free? How can the condemned be uncondemned? How can that one that is low be lifted high? How can the man pay for his crimes? How can we break the chain? Well, that's where Jesus steps in. And that's where justification steps in. It's better than forgiveness. Forgiveness is my sins subtracted. But justification is his righteousness added to my life. God declares his purpose for me in justification. He'll treat me like I've never sinned before. Look with me. In the, let's read the Bible. Verse number, uh, verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a good word right here. Being, we are justified freely Amen. by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's the, that's the way it's transferred, a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. That's a Passover that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. That's good right there. You say, how can God be just to say one that's guilty is not guilty? How can God be just to let the guilty go free because Jesus became the guilty for you and Jesus became the guilty for me. Thank God he, tra he traded me my sin for his righteousness. He traded my condemnation for his mercy. He traded my hell for his heaven. He traded my wrath for his right with God. Jesus became my sacrifice so that God can look on one with that imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and say now it doesn't affect my holiness. It doesn't affect my righteousness to look on that sinner and say he can go free because Jesus took my sin upon him. He's just and the justifier. Thank God it's not a pardon. It's not just forgiveness. It goes deeper than that. It's not just sins blotted out. It's all of Jesus added on to my account. Justification's a legal act wherein God sits as judge and jury and he says, 
not guilty and declares you righteous in his sight. We're destitute of righteousness. So you don't become righteous. You get clothed in somebody else's righteousness. Jesus, you take off the old coat and you put on the new, the song says. God doesn't let the guilty go free. In fact, he can't. That wouldn't be just. So he takes the righteousness of Christ, that word's imputation, he transfers it to you. And now in the eyes of God, you were never guilty to begin with. Now, I wouldn't get too excited about that either if I were you. I know it's Bible and everything, but salvation did more than just, just get me to heaven. It changed my standing from condemnation to justification. Condemn, condemnation walked in and delivered the charges for the crime. They presented the evidence. My guilt was declared and the law said punish the man. But then Jesus walked by, mercy walked in, and God said, I saw the blood of Christ applied to my life and exonerated me, expunged my record and said set him free. Imputation. That's when Jesus took his righteousness, put it on our account. Our faith in Christ was traded out for his faith. We trade out our righteousness for his righteousness. We trade out our bad standing for his perfect standing with God. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. When I put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it's more than just a get out of hell free card. Jesus literally took off, took off his righteousness and bore my sin. He went, to the, he went to the cross of Calvary carrying every sin of man. Oh, God had to turn his face away. But thank God in that transaction, when by faith I saw that sight, when I claimed him by faith, Jesus took off that coat of righteousness and came to me and wrapped me in his righteousness. Every bit of Jesus is now on my account. Sometimes preachers say, God, wiped your slate clean. That's only half the story. He wiped it clean and then filled it up with Jesus all the way through. Man, I kind of like it. How can man be justified with God? Only through Jesus. How can the guilty go free? Only through Jesus. Justification, the source is grace. The ground is his blood. The means is faith. And the cost is freely given. Free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. I remember at the Sword Lord Conference, I used to preach there every year until I moved out here. But anyway, I'm not meddling, I'm just preaching. Old man there at Gospelite used to sing every year. This song, oh, God held a great flowing balance. And one side was waiting for me. The other side held such perfection as God had demanded there be. And God held a scale in the middle. And my side soared high with my sin. I cried for my side to be balanced. And Jesus, the Savior, stepped in. I'm justified. I'm happy in Jesus today. The sins I've committed, they're all in the past. They'll never condemn me for he holds me fast. I'm justified. I'm justified. I'm happy in Jesus today. Can I say, Bildad, let me introduce you to justification. His name is Jesus. Maybe Bildad would say, I've never heard of him. I'd say, you've heard of him. Job said, the Lord has given, given, he's taken away. That was him there, Bildad. He said, I don't think I know him. Oh, you know him. When Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth, 
That was him right there. He's not just a man. He's the God man. And he died on the cross for your sin. His name is Jesus. He's Lord. And he's more than that. He's the answer to the question. God came to man in the person of Christ. He did what we couldn't do. He did what works couldn't do. He did what religion couldn't do. He did what you and I could never do. He bridged the gulf between God and man. And we can walk across that bridge and in the process become right with God via justification. That's why the Bible said in 1 John 3, 9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born again. There's a new man on the inside of me that can't be anything but right with God all the time. Everybody's worried, I want to stay right with God. Positionally, you can't do anything but stay right with God. You're made right with God when you got born again and justified. The law can't condemn you. The devil can't accuse you. The curse can't separate you. Why? You're justified, complete in him, perfect in him, faultless in him. The righteousness of Christ, Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21 uh, says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans 5, verse 1 through 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace through uh, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also you have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what justification is, just as if I'd never sinned. And it's a legal transaction where God, who's the just God and the judge of the world, can look on a man that ought to be condemned and go to hell, but because of the sacrifice of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus by faith is put on my account, and God can keep his justice and look on me and say, the guilty free and I can be justified. Wisdom, righteousness, and power. Holiness this very hour, my redemption full and free. He's all I need. So today, here you are. Maybe some of you are living where the Jews were living in Romans. I just got to keep plugging away at this thing and I'll be right with God. That's a miserable way to try to live. Your plugging away is purposeless. You ought to serve God because you love Him, but you don't have to serve God to be right positionally. You were made right at Calvary. That's why our motive is love. We're not scared. We do it because we love him so much. Maybe here today and you say, I sure hope I can go to heaven someday. Well, you're not going to go if you're saying that. There's no way you'll ever get to heaven that way. None of you. Not me, not you. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. The most moral person in here looks like a worm or a baby in the mess of birth compared to how holy God is. So what do you need? How then can man be justified? Being justified freely by his grace. You need Jesus, and he's your only answer. That's a little Bible study this morning. I'm going to pray the altar will be open. Maybe you ought to come and you say, I'm saved. Maybe you ought to just come and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm guilty, and I know you're guilty too, but thank God I got to go free. One of these days I'll spend forever with God because of justification. He took off that old coat of condemnation and put on the new coat of his righteousness. But if you're here today and you don't know you're ready to go to heaven, you better get saved today because you could die before tonight. And one of these days, well, I don't even believe the Bible. Well, you have a conscience and your conscience preaches against what you say you believe because in your heart of hearts, you understand I'll die one day. And if I die one day and there's a God, I have to stand before him. And I've got to get some righteousness from someplace. And yours is filthy rags. But Jesus is freely given if you'll come to him today. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, 
visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.